For March 17th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 611, The Tricameron. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. Smart and funny and friends, but socially distant uh, in these times. We're never happier than when we are uh, hunkering down, uh, out, outlasting a plague, and um, you know, amusing one another uh, through novel exercises of, of wit and intellect. Really, Matt? Never happier? <laughs> we stopped examining your... Let's not stop to examine those words. Let's continue. Sorry. I'm back. Yeah. Was, <laughs> y'all, I'm back. Hey, hey, Mark. Where were you traveling to? That's <laughs> funny you should mention it. Taiwan. Where, oh. guess what? They don't have the coronavirus. <laughs> like, here, we got the freaking coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so, uh... <laughs> might have been better off staying in Taiwan. You know, yeah, guys, 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 as when we were planning this, remember, I pointed out that we could approach this one of three ways, right? Uh-huh. We can either speak truth to our own situations, right? And we can give people that we could intensify, pick something that would intensify those feelings associated with the current circumstance to generate some sort of edgy artistic instinct. Or we could look to instill some normalcy and comfort by providing for our listeners a respite from all all of the kind of blaring klaxons of uh, contemporary panic and, oh, and maybe not panic, but you know what I mean, distress, right? Distress. So I thought we were going with the third, (laughs) but I am also glad that Mark is back from Asia uh, and and has returned to find that, in fact, um, you know, all peoples and all places deal with the same problems and and there's no particular uh, salient cleavage wherein one group does it better than another all the time. So, yeah, for sure. Way to to square that circle, Pete. That's uh... (laughs) I feel like we made it like 75 seconds before going completely off the rails for our plan for the day. Overthinking it, listeners, we're here for you. We know that this is a tough situation, and we hope that you are are taking care of yourself, your your loved ones, and your communities by doing the right things. But we also want to provide you a little bit of normalcy, help you get through the day, and that's what we're going to do today. And actually, this is Matthew. I mean, it it is, and I'm very proud that we do a podcast, which you know, at this particular moment is a really good kind of entertainment choice that or streaming, you know, along the kind of the streaming, the digitally delivered sorts of entertainments that you don't have to gather uh, in person in large groups to, to, uh, to do. So, so this, uh, this situation reminded me, I think it reminded you, Pete, actually, um, first uh of a little uh of a little uh, novel or a little i guess collection story collection uh from the 14th century by giovanni boccaccio a little book called the decameron the decameron mm. the decameron uh, the, the, the <laughs> now filled before an empty studio audience the decameron <laughs> um so the decameron kind of like the thousand and one nights is a frame story with short stories inside of it and so the idea of the Decameron, the frame story, is that there are a bunch of uh, there are a bunch of tech bros who go wait out the uh, who go wait out the plague in Jackson Hole. No, it's not. It's not that actually. It's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a comfort bunch of- <laughs> and normalcy. Comfort and normalcy. We're all going to get through this together. 
<laughs> so uh, wash your hands, hug your loved ones, wash your hands. <laughs> Actually, uh, aristocrats fleeing the cities in 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 times of uh, uh, you know health scares is nothing new because this is a story, the Decameron, of ten fourteenth century uh, nobles, seven women and three men going out to a villa outside the city of Florence during the big ec- epidemic of the, the Black Death. And, and in order to amuse themselves while they are in seclusion, um, because would you believe they didn't have podcasts back then? They, they, <laughs> they decide to do a sort of podcast uh, called Storytelling, where they sit around in a circle uh, with their, their smart, funny friends from the uh, aristocracy and uh, tell Not each the other... Net. <laughs> it's called the Italianetta. And they, uh, uh, they each over a 10 day period are going to tell uh, a story. So 10, 10 people, one story a day for 10 days, 100 stories. Uh, the, the work is called the Decameron, which is a, a kind of neologism that combines two Greek words, one for 10 and one for days. So the sort of the 10 day. Uh, the ten day period and and the stories are kind of generically a mixed bag, like the Canterbury Tales or like the Thousand and One Nights, and they um you know and that this this sort of work is uh is one of those sort of oft studied things in in literature programs. Did I do it okay guys or do you do you, uh do you wanna uh jump in with any more uh decameron De- decameronomania um, i mean the only thing i 'd add is that it's it's very bawdy. And has a lot of sexual jokes. Uh, I think there's one in particular I remember where a hermit has to teach a virgin to put the devil back into hell. And it's all sort of a sexual thing. So I don't think it's something that you would see made into a motion picture now, per se. But but it's not overly serious, right? And this is the idea that when – there are parts of it that are serious or dramatic. But there are also parts of it that are body and funny. And that's one of the ways it's an antecedent to modern literature. And it isn't overly you know, consumed with notions of piety and, and religiosity. Uh, and it's attempting to kind of celebrate life a little bit and kind of remind us of the facts of being alive, even even in those times where it seems a little bit precarious or perilous. Uh, and so I admire the Decameron for doing that and think yeah. that it's accomplished it accomplished something uh, good and useful. So, we, so. we've decided to do a, a, a sort of a tri-Cameron here <laughs> or a, I mean, not three days. This is not a no, three, three Cameron albums is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> going to do a three day uh, podcast wherein each uh, of us will talk for a day uh, and we're going to read uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost, The Unsurpassed and Unsurpassable Great. No, uh, yeah, we've oh, each no. we've each brought a topic to the table to uh, discuss for roughly one third of the podcast and uh, we aim to bring we aim to bring sort of delight or comfort or distraction or thoughtfulness or some some sort of positive uh, experience to you over the course of this so as we you know where, wherever you are we hope you're we hope you're safe we hope your loved ones are safe we hope you are are healthy and we're going to try to make you happy at least for a little while so the first tale in our Tricameron comes from Peter Fenzel. Matthew, Mark, yes. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a quote from a philosopher, and this is from a book that I read cover to cover to prepare for this very podcast. And then I'm going to reveal the philosopher and the work. So here's the quote. Find value in whatever you do. In the body of mankind, some people are toes and others are elbows. Some are lips, while still others are kneecaps. Whatever you are, make sure you do it well. 
If you're an ear, make sure you can hear. If you're an eye, make sure you can see. If you're a hand, know how to grab. If you're a leg, you'd better be able to hold that body up. No role is insignificant. If you're a toe, but you're broken, the entire body will limp. Play your position. Don't be concerned with rank. Make sure you're in the role that maximizes your capabilities. So, of course, I know a lot of listeners have already recognized this quote, wait, right? Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> aren't you going to let us? Aren't you going to let us guess? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But by all means, please, Matt. Can you guess? I mean, I'm, it's obvious, I would think, at this point. But, but, Matt, do you want to guess where it's from? Yeah, I, I do. Actually, I'm, I'm going to quote uh, to you from First Corinthians chapter twelve. Uh, okay. All verse, right. Verse twenty-seven. Now you okay. are the body of Christ, and each of you is uh, a part of it. And and God okay. has placed okay. the, in the church <laughs> first of all apostles, second <laughs> prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, Matt, of Matt, guidance, Matt. and different. Different kinds, different kinds of tongues, different no, kinds no, of tongues. Matt, you're close. Matt, you're I don't close. think you're I don't close. think that's right. I don't oh. think I'm going. I'm going to go somewhere else. I think okay. this is the extended director's cut of Team America: World Police, an extension oh. of the uh, D's F a holes, <laughs> a famous speech in, in which okay. it describes that you know different world actors, uh, different parts of the uh, of the American body, such as it were, have their own role to play in uh, ensuring world peace and fighting evil through the world. Um, I think that's what that, that's what this is from, right, Pete? You know, you're close. I think you guys are both mm. really, mm. really close. But unfortunately, I think as most of our audience would know by now, this quote is from the book that I read for this podcast, the 2011 work, LL Cool J's Platinum 360 Diet and Lifestyle, A Full Circle Guide to Developing Your Mind body and soul oh that's uh, what it yes, is yes of course it's from the ll cool j's it's from ll cool j's <laughs> augmented version of his workout book which includes 45 pages on life philosophy and building yourself as a human being which which is amazing right and and, and i will say i'll tell you what it, this book right this book cover to cover i'm going to say the whole name again because it is one of those books where they didn't even think that it might have needed a shorter name ll cool j's there's the most critical piece of information you're going to need. This is a book that belongs to LL Cool J in every respect, except that he probably only wrote about a fifth of it, but it belongs to him. It's his book, and it's about him, and you're buying it because it has his picture on it and his picture in it many, many times. LL Cool J's Platinum, Platinum, more precious than gold, right? Also connecting to the fact that LL Cool J is a platinum recording artist, right? High quality, right? It doesn't tarnish so much. It's, it's really highly conductive and used in high-tech computer parts, right? LL Cool J's Platinum 360, 360, that's all the degrees in a circle. That's from every direction, right? That's like, that's like Anderson Cooper 360, right? Isn't that what Anderson Cooper calls his show? This is LL Cool J's version of Anderson Cooper's, Cooper's show. It's Anyway, LL Cool J's Platinum 360, Diet and Lifestyle, A Full Circle Guide to Developing Your Mind, Body, and Soul. And and this is an amazing uh, – this is this book is both um, – it's amazing. And, and I'm going to say uncritically that if you read this book and do everything in this book, you will probably get in shape. And that is, that is, the, <laughs> that is the highest praise, I think, 
that you could give a diet book. I don't think that there is anything in this book were you to read it and were you to follow it that is objectively wrong or bad. Um, I, I think that it is, uh, if anything, it really requires you to go to the gym an awful lot uh, or you know work out an awful lot if you want to get the results of LL Cool J. But then it tells you, look, LL Cool J is someone who is in very good physical shape. If you want to do LL Cool J's workout and look like LL Cool J, you're going to spend a lot of time working out. And this book does not mince words when it tells you in the initial 45 to 50 pages of Life Philosophy from LL Cool J the kind of mindset that it takes to dedicate yourself to not just diet and exercise, but also to being in a deep blue sea. In fact, uh, I should probably <laughs> I want to read I, I, I've listed maybe 30 quotes here from this book because this book is is so thoroughly quotable, so thoroughly quotable. Let me see if I can find the one. Um, well, here, here's what I'm just going to start grabbing random ones because because they are just here's the thing. LL Cool J really strongly here's believes. The, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. The thing LL is here. Cool J strongly believes that uh, that uh, if you want to get in shape physically, it is necessary for you to get your mind right, as it were, right to to deal with your your personal motivations, to deal with your personal conflicts. Uh, he builds a uh, a sort of syllogism of motivation that guides through different sorts of concepts of personal direction, staying true to yourself and being imaginative. And and he links creativity and imagination and and curls, preacher curls, and also uh, one arm preacher curls and standing barbell curls. There's definitely a workout in this video, which is like four different kinds of curls, each interspersed with like a minute of jump rope. Uh, and that, that is the LL Cool J experience. But so much of it is about your soul. Okay, direct quote. Uh, there are many moving parts within a marriage. But every successful marriage is built on these three pillars, trust, love, and communication. Charity, hope. Oh, sorry. And <laughs> no, so, and that, and that, LL Cool J is merely inspired by the Bible, but he is, in fact, hard as hell. Oh, right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, here's the thing. LL Cool J also published LL Cool J's Platinum 360 Diet and Lifestyle uh, originally Right. Oh, no, sorry. LL Cool J's Platinum Workout, Sculpt Your Best Body Ever with Hollywood's Fittest Star, is the first version of this book, ah. which was augmented with the 45 pages of personal life advice in LL Cool J's Platinum 360 Diet and Lifestyle, First Look Guide to Developing Your Mind, Body, and Soul. Anyway, sorry. Call it the TLC of marriage. <laughs> Trust is the foundation without which no healthy marriage can survive. Love is as important as the air we breathe. It fills in all the gaps. Imagine your marriage as a flower. Love is the water and sunlight it needs to grow. Communication is what enables two people to work things out. If you think you'll never never have anything to work out, then don't get married. You will. Hearing each other's side in a dispute and establishing an open dialogue ensures that miscommunication won't turn a little thing into a big blow up or a big thing into a divorce court. Uh, this is a book that has more than 45 pages of pictures of LL Cool J lifting weights in it. Right? Like it's, it is it is there's an encyclopedic list of like here is a here is a, a machine bench press. Here is a flat bench press. Here is an incline cable press. Here is an overhead press. And it's all pictures of LL Cool J in the same outfit and he's not smiling in any of them. But he's dropping these pearls of wisdom for you left and right. Here was the one I was looking for. One time I interviewed for a special effects driven movie that I really wanted to do, but the director just wasn't feeling me. That's his prerogative. It happens. Did I get discouraged? No, I kept pushing forward. Soon after, 
I got the role in Deep Blue Sea, which ended up being a terrific experience. No is only an obstacle if you let it be. And remember, one yes can erase a thousand no's. I will say I think this is the only book in print that accurately refers to Deep Blue Sea as a terrific experience, uh, which I think is great because it is a terrific experience. I don't know if you've watched Deep Blue Sea recently, but it is a terrific experience. It is a shark week rolled up into one one short movie. Uh, anyway, anyway, I know I'm going on. Uh, I'm going on a little bit. I'm gushing. I need to organize my thoughts. All right. I want you guys to leave this brief part of our Cameron with a sense for what LL Cool J is trying to offer of himself and his own personal philosophy. I mean, do you guys have any burning questions before I jump into the sort of big headline notes on this book? I guess, yeah, no. was the was the part of the movie that he was up for a part was it um in nineteen ninety nine was Deep Blue Sea, right? So it must have been Star Wars episode one of the Phantom Menace, right? Oh, I hope so. Do you think LL Cool J supposed to be Mace Windu? Wow. Think about that alternate universe. Can I live there? (laughs) By the way, the reason I I read this book is that uh, NCIS Los Angeles was on the TV when I was trying to think of a topic. And there was a scene where LL Cool J was Tokyo drifting a baggage handling golf cart across an airport tarmac when it burst into flames. And, (laughs) And then I was like, well, I should just do another episode of NCIS Los Angeles. But then I thought, what if LL Cool J wrote a book and he's written four? (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, it's great by written, for, really for a special like definition of written right yeah well i mean yes he obviously I, what the book really oh. reads as if it's ll cool j's voice i'm deliberately resisting saying these things in his voice but you can hear it in his voice as you read it if you want is it, is right? it ll cool j's as in like rainbow six is tom clancy's it belongs to but it's not actually written by it's tricky, right? Because the one of the guys who wrote this book is a guy by the name of Chris Palmer, who you, of course, might also know from Mario Lopez's Knockout Fitness. Oh, that's Jim Stepani. So there's a guy named Jim Stepani who has written multiple books on weightlifting and is a co-writer on both Mario Lopez's Knockout Fitness and LL Cool J's Platinum 360 Diet and Lifestyle, a full circle guide developing your mind, body, and soul. So in that respect, you know that there's sort of a professional dimension here. But LL Cool J also has a close relationship with a specific personal trainer named David Scooter Honig, who is quoted throughout the work in uh, in in segments that are called Scooter's Tips, uh, which goes something like um, Scooter's Tip. Don't worry about how much weight you're lifting. Just make sure you're as intense and safe as possible. That's called maximizing two variables at the same time. It's great. Uh, Scooter's Tip. You need to frame how you respond to challenges. There is no I'll try. There is only I'll do. I think that reinforces the idea that LL Cool J is sore that he's not in Star Wars, Mark. Yeah, I exactly. Think yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Proof. But 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 at any rate, if I were to read some of these segments in LL Cool J's voice, I think you would hear it. Right. What always has fueled my determination was my burning desire to accomplish my goals. Being determined was instilled in me from a young age by my mother and grandmother. If a task is once begun, never leave it till it is done. Be the labor big or small. Do it well or not at all. This was the mantra I heard every day, and I still consider those words to live by. Right. Like I can I, you can sort of feel these words with the intensity of LL Cool J behind them. Uh, and it's probably good that the philosophizing part of the book is only 40 pages long, 45 pages long, because it's uh, it's pretty intense uh, and nonstop with the different topics that it addresses. Uh, but at any rate, um, in order to leave time to make sure everybody else has some time to do the tri-camera in here, I will outline LL Cool J's 
sort of built up philosophy. If you want to pursue this further, uh, I, as I'm telling you, if you read this book and do all the things in this book, you will probably get in shape. It, there is nothing in this book that seems wrong or bad. It is merely a lot of work. Uh, and so, and it is also like, it is, it starts you from the very, very bottom with no knowledge of diet or exercise. Uh, and then builds up from there to things that look pretty challenging and pretty difficult. So in this case, this seems like a pretty honest and straightforward workout book where it's only silly gimmick is that it has a hundred pictures of LL Cool J in it, including one where he's squatting among a bunch of yoga candles, which is pretty great. Um, and one where he's hitting a tire with a sledgehammer. Okay. So, so LL Cool J's philosophy starts with what he refers to as purity, uh, which is not necessarily what you would think of as, uh, as, as in terms of like sexual purity or personal purity, LL Cool J starts the book like Dante starts the Divine Comedy in the sense of like I turned forty and I looked at my life and I was kind of thinking about what my life was going to be. Right, it's this sort of midlife crisis book, and it's when I decided that I really needed to be more of the person that I had wanted to be, and I needed to dispense with the things in my life that I didn't want to be. I, I my wife tells me Tim McGraw had a certain sort of uh, personal personal kind of switch that went off when he turned around forty and he wanted to get super in shape and all this other stuff. Um, but for LL Cool J, the notion of purity is related to, sort of a, to a teleological idea that's highly associated with childhood. And the idea that, that as a child, when you bring imagination into relation to the world, you find things that you're excited about and you want to do. And that pursuing this, this uh, pursuing the world like a child, which I think, Matt, you can also find in the Bible, right? Like, suffer the children to come unto me, or if one were to come unto me, come unto me as a child. Um, I'm trying to, uh, or even just the story of the when two I, commandments. When I, child, when I was a child, I worked out as a child. I <laughs> rapped as a child. I started in special effects extravaganzas as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I am a man and I, and I, and I finished, uh, um, I, know how to do, I knew how to do an in-cut client cable pull press. Right, right. So LL Cool J says you want to start with a sense of purity, and he asks the question of who you are. And, and he, like Rainer Marie Rilke, he suggests that if you can't find it in your adult life, go back to your childhood, investigate yourself, and find that voice or that sense of wonder and imagination at the world. Answer the question to yourself who you are. An extension from that would potentially be what do you want. He doesn't necessarily frame it that way. And then he takes it forward to two different concepts, which he calls determination and perseverance. And the idea is determination is the uh, the sort of cognitive idea that you hold in your mind uh, of chasing after the thing that you want and, and not being dissuaded from it, right? The the idea that you have you have come to arrived at a certainty, right? You have determined that you want to con confront the world with creative imagination and, and a joy and of self actualization. Then you want to uh, approach it then with a sort of singularity of of purpose and determine. And your determination is the sort of construction of your uh, of your will, right? Uh, and then there's your perseverance, which is your ability to endure. Right. Your perseverance is your stamina and your ability to keep following after your pursuits of your determination, which, of course, only exist because you've arrived at some degree of personal purity with regards to who you are and what you think and what you dream. Right. Dreaming, probably really huge, really huge concept in this book. And then once you take it from there, then you do plyometrics. No, um, then, then from there uh, you do um, respect. 
right? So from there, it becomes social, building the right uh, support systems around yourself. This is where he talks about marriage and family as being really important and, and this you know, and sort of getting your getting yourself right with the people around you, uh, picking friends who support you rather than ones who undermines you. He has a rather colorful section where he talks about Lucy and Charlie Brown and how Lucy is a bad friend to Charlie Brown and Charlie Brown should stop hanging out with Lucy uh, because because it infringes upon you know Charlie Brown's ability to successfully persevere in pursuit of his determination and his personal purity and his dream to kick that football. And then it finishes with faith, which he sees as related to action, uh, which is a really interesting uh, sort of Catholic Protestant reconciliation of the concept. But the notion that that faith exists when you take action in pursuit of the things that you believe to be true. Um, uh, and, and that all of this is framed in the context of love. And if you get all of these things right, then you get to go to section two, which is an, a workout encyclopedia of like a hundred different exercises, all with pictures of LL Cool J. And, and he does a, uh, he, he does a progression where it's a two, but it's a two, it's a full, full body split, uh, upper low body split. So it's two days, full body split two uh, two weeks, full body split two weeks, upper lower body split two weeks, uh, three body parts split two weeks, four bodies part split with drop sets, right? And he's, he's definitely in the sort of uh, late 80s bodybuilder isolation mentality in a lot of his lifting. It's a, it feels a little dated, but I think LL Cool J, and he does openly attest that, you know, there's all sorts of different plans you can use to go to the gym to get in shape. And I guess if you want to get in shape like LL Cool J, you should do the workout that LL, LL Cool J does. Um, and it follows from there into more advanced uh, plyometrics and interval training, which you can use it when you're more in shape. And then there is a long cookbook at the end. Which <laughs> <laughs> Half the book is a cookbook. And, and the cookbook is kind of you I, have like one minute left, Pete. You only now get to the what are the what are the recipes for goodness okay. sake, Pete? What are the recipes in LL Cool J's cookbook? So there's two different kinds of recipes in LL Cool J's cookbook, uh, which is you know of course the tail end of Platinum 360 Diet and Lifestyle: A Full Circle Guide to Developing Your Mind, Body, and Soul, which should also be called uh, 45 Pages of Developing Your Mind, Body, and Soul, 50 Pages of Exercise, and 100 Pages of Cooking and Recipes. So first, there are uh, very 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 basic recipes where it'll be like, here's a great healthy meal. Here, I mean, here's an example: steak and edamame. Ingredients. Top sirloin and edamame. <laughs> and uh, and it gives body weights. Say, well, if you're under 150 pounds, eat two ounces of steak. If you're 150 to 200 pounds, eat three ounces of steak. If you're over 200 pounds, eat well, four ounces of steak. I did say there's nothing wrong in this book. I think the portions are a little small for some of this food. Although he does say in the book that you shouldn't eat too little. Uh, some of the extra, some of the portions are small. And then it's like a quarter cup of edamame. And so like, okay, this is giving you no guidance on how to cook a steak, how to season it, why put edamame with a steak what's the point of any of this shouldn't edamame be served with salt you put the salt on the pods how does that even work but then there are much more involved ones which is like full-on this is how you make a sausage breakfast pizza right and uh starting with the turkey breakfast sausage links and you preheat the oven to this and then you place the crust on this and you do all this stuff and there's no real clear uh reasoning i think between which recipes are the ones that are like Hard-boiled eggs, ingredients, one, hard-boiled eggs, right, which is a literal recipe in this book. Uh, it just is like, eat hard-boiled eggs as a recipe. Uh, and then also the ones that are much more involved, like, you know, Cajun black and chicken, right? Um, and, and I think it's something like they want to start you out with something really simple and work you to something more complex. But at this point, the sort of narrative guidance in the book really starts to drop off. 
Um, and, and while there are little sort of zing and sizzle paragraphs that are thrown into some of the recipes, you can tell that the sort of narrative energy is really invested in getting you from taking the book off the shelf to like looking at 100 pictures of LL Cool J working out and presumably doing some of the exercises that he is doing in an order as prescribed or not. Uh, but but I will say, all things considered, didn't make any of the recipes from this book, didn't do any of the exercises yet, although I've done a lot of them before. Uh, as far as celebrity workout and, and nutrition encyclopedias go, I would say solid 7 out of 10. Uh, and, and, and honestly, I can't think of a bad thing to say about LL Cool J. Uh, he's a fine, fine, fine musician, fine, fine actor, mainstay of uh, procedural drama. He's in toys. What more could you want? Uh, and uh, and yes, Deep Deep Blue Sea was, in fact, a terrific experience. So that's my topic. <laughs> I'll finish with a quote. I'll finish with a final quote. I'll finish with a final quote. OK, OK. Um, here we go. I'm going to pick a good one here. It's going to be one of his his. Uh, his things that inspire him. Here we go. Here we go. People I admire. The book is full of these lists of five things in capital letters as call outs, which are like a slice of LL Cool J's like personal experience. So this says people I admire capital letters, Barack Obama. He accomplished what people thought was impossible. Michael Jordan, his work ethic was no joke. Bob Johnson, he founded BET and became America's first African-American billionaire by navigating the labyrinth of business. Denzel Washington, even after Sidney Poitier, Denzel opened doors for African-American actors and let them know they could be leading men. My grandparents, they show me the importance of hard work, determination and loyalty in life. So there you go. The five. It's actually a cheat because it's actually uh, he has four grandparents. So I don't know. So it's more like nine people, eight people. But yes, Barack Obama, Michael Jordan, Bob Johnson, Denzel Washington, LL Cool J's grandparents, all people that we should respect, all people who have earned our admiration over time. Uh, and for that, I will, I will pass off my tricameron topic on to uh, all of y'all. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thanks very much. No, I, that, that was wonderful, Pete, and I got a lot of delight out of it. When I am uh, when I'm confronted with um, you know difficulty in life, one of the things I uh, that comes to mind is a teacher, an English teacher uh, from the eighth grade. Uh, he was not my English teacher, but he was the other eighth grade English teacher in my school. Um, but you know, it was a small school, so everybody knew everybody. And he said something I think at at lunch one day that. Uh, just struck me because his uh, class had to memorize a passage from the uh, from Romeo and Juliet, the the Friar Tuck thing about the the flowers and all the you know all the like natural properties of of flowers is sort of he not Friar Tuck that's from Robin Hood Friar what's the name of the Friar in Romeo and Juliet Lawrence Friar Lawrence. Um, he uh yeah he uh, robs from the rich and and gives to the gives poison to teenagers that's friar lawrence the um the thing that the teacher said was uh and uh, we we didn't have to do this and i was like well why are you making them memorize that and with all the you know with all the wisdom and insight that my my 13 years afforded me i i thought education was more than just rote memorization i thought that you know that you know you're supposed to learn the ideas behind things and and you know he he looked at me with a lot more patience than i really deserved uh at that particular moment and he said you know you will be glad in your life at times to have committed to memory 
certain great pieces of literature, of poetry especially, because it's perhaps the most memorable, you know. And you'll be really, you'll be really happy that, um, not happy necessarily, maybe you'll be really sad, but you'll be gratified somehow and your, your burden will be eased. Uh, if you have in your mind um, a sort of... T- a cast, you know, a, a cast of what this uh, cast in the sense of a plaster cast of, of kind of w- how people have put these feelings into words, because, you know, y- your your own experience will sometimes be incomprehensible for you. And and memorizing literature can can provide at least the first step at a language for understanding, you know, um, understanding what you're going through. And so I, you know, I've, I took that to heart actually. And it, it has indeed served me well in my life to have stuff, uh, committed to memory, you know, passages of literature, passes of passages of drama, poetry, especially because, you know, the rhyming and the meter makes it a lot more memorable. And, um, and it's helped a lot. It turns out that I have uh, a, a steel trap memory for for poems and lyrics and and stuff like that. Can't remember dates or phone numbers or names even. But like, uh, but if it rhyme, you know, if it has a uh, rhyme and a meter, once it, it goes in, it's probably not coming out. Um, and you know, when I I think uh, through my life, like po- uh, a poet that has in in times of happiness or in times of difficulty sort of continued to to delight me, proven inexhaustible to meditation. Um, honestly, someone who comes up over and over and over again is Robert Frost. So for my entry in the tricameron, I, I submit to you gentlemen, Robert Frost. Do you have a, a favorite poem by Robert Frost, either of you? There once was a man from Nantucket. No, he wrote a, a lot about New England. <laughs> the man from Nantucket actually <laughs> forms the, the basis of a, a poem cycle. No, it's uh, it's not. Maybe maybe not. Maybe you weren't subjected to as much of it as uh, I maybe Maybe Birch's might be my favorite. Oh, I like Birch's a lot. That, it's pretty nice. That's good. Um, now, I, I like a lot uh, The Road Not Taken because... Um, my school, my high school, took its name from the road not taken. I went to a school in L.A. called Crossroads, and the founder of the school named it after Robert Frost and the road not taken, which was deeply fundamentally misunderstood by this man and uh, by everyone who came came after, because it, at uh, every graduation, the school was thanked by the you know valedictorian or whatever. It's like, thank you, Crossroads. You helped me to take the road less traveled by, and truly, it has made all the difference, and it just, like, it's, that's that's not what it means. But I'm not going to do the road not taken with you now because my, my full spiel on it takes about an hour. And we don't have that kind of time. But let's talk about let's talk about some uh, some Robert Frost poems and uh, and like uh, can sort of read them together and uh, and maybe talk about them and we'll see if we can get through one or maybe maybe two two of these. Now I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna use memorability as the criteria by which I'm going to pick these. Uh, Rather than rather than anything rather than anything else, you know, rather than like necessarily the kind of the best literary qualities or the most interesting, you know, um, by by any other measure. So uh, let's start with that uh, that classic of Robert Frost. You know, you know what I'm I'm teeing up, Pete. Is it stopping by woods on a snowy stopping evening? Stopping by woods yeah. on a snowy evening. Um, <laughs> Let me uh, let me read this to you, and then and then let's talk about it a little bit. 
Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and frozen lake the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. These woods are lovely, dark and deep. But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep. It's, I mean, like, it, you gotta admit, it's beautiful, you know, even, even mm-hmm. if it is kind of a Hallmark card, or even if uh, Hallmark cards are a bad imitation of this, right? <laughs> um, that, uh, I don't know, do you, do you have particular feelings about this, this poem, uh, Pete? Uh, yeah, I guess for me, this poem, it gets more uh, complex the older I get. Yeah. Because, um, well, I mean, once once the sort of once you sort of grasp what I think of as the sort of central, I guess it's a metaphor. It's it's. I mean, I guess you. It's tricky to say that it's particularly a metaphor or, or symbolic. I'm sure you can outline it more precisely because there there is obviously a a verisimilitude to the experience that might then associate with the thing that's being talked about, right? So so I guess here once once you sort of think about okay, whose house is the house in the village? Yeah. That exactly. that's that's I think the question that for me really uh raises the stakes on the poem a bit. Um and and I think and yeah, and I think for me, where I'm at with it now is that that the house that's in the village that the woods belongs to is the church. Um, that like the woods belong to God, uh, and not necessarily, and I'm not necessarily speaking specifically to like an anthropomorphic, like white bearded God figure, but like the idea that, so, so, okay. So there's a, there's a house in the village that owns the woods and those woods are a place where there's like no human visible human habitation. And there is only the sort of shifting of natural forces and the sort of sound that you're associated with it. And you're on the way to the frozen lake, which to me then again, recalls Dante and the divine comedy, right? Passing through the woods and the ultimate destination of the inferno is the frozen lake. And so there's this venture from the boundary of life into the realm of death. Right. And uh, and so so I think I know, but I don't know. Right. I, I think I know, but I don't know. It's kind of cryptic and unknowable. There's something about this that's inscrutable. There's something about it that's that's not particularly human. The horse wants to know if there is a mistake that's been committed. But then unlike other sorts of pieces like this that follow along the thread that I'm detailing, it pulls back from being quite so grim. Right. And it's not and it's much more soothing and a little bit more comforting about it. Right. This is, I think um, this is definitely a feature of Robert Frost that the, the you know, nature, nature stuff is generally comforting because nature is cyclical. You know, if winter comes, can spring be far behind, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like that, um, you know, on a snowy evening, it, it won't always be a snowy evening in the woods. I think you're right. I think you're spot on that this is an allegory of the soul and that like uh, that there there are definitely and and the the. Uh, the soul is kind of poised usually between kind of extremes like the between the woods and and frozen lake or you know the woods versus the village um you know the that these uh the the idea of the kind of the road you know of life that you and your horse and your carriage go on and it's a carriage because the the uh the horse has a harness on um with bells rather than you know just a, a bridle and and reins you know he's uh, uh 
that like y- you are counterpoised between these between these kind of these extremes like whether it's you know Dante and hell the kind of the frozen the frozen lake uh, at the bottom of hell where the the or the um you know the uh uh the house in the the house in the village or the the woods which are kind of like i mean this is pushing it a little too far but the woods are are the cross sort of yeah and that, that mm, the like, tree yeah, yeah yeah the tree the 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 wretched gibbet uh the the tree on calvary so the the yeah so like and 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 the other thing is that the amount of ambiguity that is introduced um and you know I, this is something that I really love about Frost, and one of the things that that makes uh, makes it worth returning to these poems over and over again. Um, like you, you pointed out, I think I know uh, is. It's just great. This, the first line of this poem is great. Whose woods these are, I think I know. Right? So, so it's backwards. A, I think I know whose woods these are. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I am driving in my car. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did not stop for Taco Bell before I got to drive this far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the lake, it represented hell. The, uh, but the, yeah, the, um, whose woods these are like and so it it creates a sense of thought uh it creates a sense of kind of a mind ruminating um not necessarily in logical order in the order that you would orate these things in something that you had pre-written but in in the order that they they might uh occur to you and also i think i know is just brilliant is like is just a f- a four-word master class in um you know, in sort of ambiguity and in like the human situation, right? Like, I think I know is the, the state of, of all of us, especially in, you know, uncertainty when we reach after certainties. Like, I think I know, I don't actually know, uh, whose woodsies are. And then the other thing, uh, whose woodsies are, I think I know, you know, depending on where you put the commas, uh, saying "I think I know" is a little is a little bit of Cartesian uh, Descartes there. You know, a little bit of of the Cartesian cogito there. I think, therefore, I know, and that's uh, um, all in the all in just the first all in just the first line. So the the one last kind of observation that that I want to make the one last um, uh, English major observation that I want to make on this is uh, that the the punctuation of these poems was tightly controlled by the literary executor of of Robert Frost. And so for decades you could not get a copy of this poem that did not go these woods are the woods are lovely, comma, dark, comma, and deep. Right, which is ridiculous. the The line is obvious. <laughs> the The line is is obviously the woods are lovely, dark and deep. You know where dark and deep is is uh, in opposition to lovely or in opposition to the uh, to the woods. It, it's expanding on the loveliness of the uh, of the woods. But the, I mean, there is a kind of um, th- there is a kind of like. You know, I don't know, high school math teacher logic to the woods are lovely, dark, and deep. The woods are a list of three things, and those three things are lovely, dark, and deep. Um, these, uh, the woods are lovely, 
dark and deep. But now, uh, since the Library of America published uh, a version of Frost, it was re-edited, and now you can now you can get a sort of a f- officially published um, d- version of this poem that is is punctuated as you know God intended. All right, uh, one one last one. Even though I am I am running short on time, it's another nature poem uh, called Spring Pools. Um, which has you know a pretty a pretty uh well i'll I'll leave you to to notice it uh these pools that though in forest still reflect the total sky almost without defect and like the flowers beside them chill and shiver will like the flowers beside them soon be gone and yet not out by any brook or river but up by roots to bring dark foliage on. The trees that have it in their pent-up buds to darken nature and be summer woods, let them think twice before they use their powers to blot out and drink up and sweep away these flowery waters and these watery flowers from snow that melted only yesterday. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's like mm-hmm. that's and when you get to the when you get to the chiasmus at the end, these flowery waters and these watery flowers, it's like uh it's it, you know, it's like a, a a triple pirouette or something like that. It's like it landing an incredible uh landing an incredible ice skating trick. Um because it's exactly because it's exactly perfect in in a in a literary figure right because the reflection flowery waters and these watery flowers um these uh, uh is a sort of f- figure is a metaphor in scheme for the um the reflection the imperfect reflection of the the flowers in the the spring pools this the melted snow uh spring pools and there's also you know just a sense here of um also just of a kind of there's a moment there's a moment counterpoise between winter and summer uh where spring is kind of delicate right like the trees um uh the the they chill and shiver the flowers and the pools uh chill and shiver and it's just one um it's just one tiny moment before kind of the cycle of nature uh, sort of continues. Winter turns into summer, and um, and life continues. And there's great sort of metaphysical comfort, I think, in in I don't know, in sort of noticing those things. Like there there, there is a uh, um, a parable of a of a there's a, a Buddhist parable I think about a monk who's like chased by a bear over a cliff, and as he's hanging on, about to lose his grip and fall to his death, he sees a flower and thinks, "Oh, what a beautiful flower," you know. And that that like that thought, "Oh, what a beautiful flower." Um, when I was younger, it seemed to me like sort of trivial and like a, a bad. Uh, you know, like a bad distraction from the misery we all should be wallowing in. Uh, but the, uh, you know, I don't know, the longer, the longer I go on, at least this far, um, those moments, these, these flowery waters and these watery flowers are more, uh, more and more important to me um, because they are the things we have. And so there, gentlemen, I submit to you the poetry of Robert Frost. Nice. Thank you. Mark, you're next. Okay, 
Um, I'd like to talk to you guys about Girl Scout cookies. Yes. <laughs> Save the, the best for last. The, 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 the comfort food for this fascinating time we are living in. Is the timing, uh, friends, is the timing not uncanny that in late February of 2020, the Girl Scouts of America, per their usual schedule, fulfilled with great efficiency through their logistics network of Girl Scouts and their parents, <laughs> boxes upon boxes of delicious cookies, just in time for us to stress eat the hell out of them in March of 2020. Is that not uncanny? Perfect timing. Um, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Um, so I just want to put that out there, but I want to kind of move away from that to talk about all these other wonderful things that, that Girl Scout cookies come to mind. Um, can we also talk about the perfectness of the Thin Mint? Right. Uh, if consider, it were, if it were only consider thin, the thin mint. Consider the thin mint. If it were only thin, Dainu. If it were only chocolatey minty, Dainu. Uh, if it were, uh, you know, something that you could throw into the freezer uh, and and chill and somehow make this like perfect companion to ice cream and all these other things, Dainu. Friends, did you know that it's vegan? What? The, the, <laughs> the thin mint is vegan. Has it or, always been vegan, or is it I, only vegan now? I'm not sure about that, but um, several years ago, I discovered this. To, to uh, what are the words that come to mind? Delight, uh, befuddlement. I think is actually the main thing, um, because uh, you know the, the, when, I, when I associate with delicious baked goods, cookies and milk. Uh, sorry, cookies and chocolate in particular are you know some level of butter, milk that goes into the chocolate stone and so forth. No, just just take that green box that I'm sure is in your pantry. Um, it, you know, if you haven't stress eaten all of them already and thrown them all away. Uh, look carefully at the package, and I assure you, friends, that they are vegan. Um, isn't that great? I mean, let's just like, like contemplate that for a second, right? How do they pull that off? I mean, isn't there something of an uncertainty principle where it's really hard to ascertain any details about particular Thin Mints because if you attempt to look at them, you've already eaten them? That That's my experience, right, is that I never have <laughs> Thin Mints in front of me for observation. <laughs> they only have velocity. Uh, they, only, they have no position. <laughs> but that, I mean, so, 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 okay, so let's follow that up. But why is it good that Thin Mints are vegan? Is it because the main reason that you wouldn't want to eat Thin Mints would be the guilt associated with eating Thin Mints? And them being vegan provides you with an assuagement of that guilt, albeit probably not one related to the origin of the guilt in the the first place uh i mean are when you sit down and eat too many thin mints are you like oh no the animals have been so victimized by my gluttony or is it more like oh no now i have to go buy ll cool j's platinum 360 <laughs> 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 size guide because i now and, have more go thin straight mint to the man. cookbook exactly uh, for some edamame cookbook. dishes uh, I think it's steak more the latter. Edamame, ingredient one yeah. steak, ingredient two edamame. <laughs> I, I mint, the... Ingredient one thin, ingredient two mint. Do it. I mean, yeah. look, look, some real talk here. I'm not one who gets too hung up in, in the just the general consumption of animals. I mean, fact, factory farming bad. Yes, all, all, all that kind of stuff, right? You know, all on the on board with that train. Um, but uh, it is this like very perverse logic where like, holy crap, I ate a whole sleeve of these thin mints, eh, but no animal products. Somehow it's like slightly uh, it's it's this magical sense of indulgence um where i i somehow have uh uh managed to avoid polluting my body even though i just ate like you know a ton of sugar and some processed uh processed wheat um it, it, it's it it's it's magical and in the same along the same lines that like these things appear seasonally 
through not through a normal retail channel and are distributed so efficiently. Do you guys not like stop and wonder and like how like you, you don't really consider the Girl Scouts of America in your daily life except uh, as the season rolls along and they seem ubiquitous. Uh, at least in your workplace, uh, by the, all the parents uh, who have their, their <laughs> on daughters, every, their granddaughters, on every corner. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see them on the corner. I don't see them on the street, though. That's the thing for me. Do you guys see them out, uh, like you know, the physical presence? Oh yeah, they're 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 at my train station a lot. Yeah, they set up tables outside of grocery stores and so on. Oh, good on them. Okay, they still do that. Oh, well, oh, yeah. sir. <laughs> at least <laughs> for Not me, for New York six, City. <laughs> for the last six years, yeah, the Girl Scouts have completely faded into the background or just totally represented uh, by the parents that have been conscripted into the sales and marketing and fulfillment aspects of this operation. Yeah. We're living in a true Beverly Hills world, people. That's just the rules of the game. That's how it is. <laughs> You've seen True Beverly Hills, right, Mark? Uh, no, I have not. No. If you're a Girl Scout and cookie enthusiast, you should see True Beverly Hills because it is highly concerned with Girl Scouts. Tell Scout. me more. Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't plan. I planned to talk about LL Cool J's Platinum 360 Titan Lifestyle, Full Guide, Developing Your Mind, Body, and Soul. But, but True Beverly Hills is a movie that is about what you're describing, which is Girl Scouts, except they're not exactly Girl Scouts, fundraising and it being a competitive status game among their parents mm. and the p- financial connections of the parents becoming a, a, a sort of a, kind of a confoundment of the ability of the girls to actually put effort into things. Mm. Um, and, and then it also becomes but it's but it's an 80s movie, so it's not an indictment of those things, but rather a celebration of them. Right. Like, oh, this this these people are, are incompetent at, at taking care of children or at doing anything related to the outdoors, but they have so many rich friends, they can sell a lot of cookies. It's it's an interesting, it's very funny, and I, I recommend the movie, um, but but that's something that we could probably spend a whole podcast on at some point in the future, for sure. This idea of like, well, if it's really that important to sell all the cookies, why don't we just put the money down and buy them ourselves, is, is one of the, I mean, the other reason the Girl Scouts come up for me is whenever the Boy Scouts do something pathological, and it's like, well, the Girl Scouts aren't doing that, <laughs> right? So... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, that was another thing I want to talk about as well, too. Like, you know, scouting in America, like, you know, through the lens of uh, uh, my brief experience, I think, in the Cub Scouts or something like that. And it's like, uh, did, Pete, Matt, did you guys do scouting of any oh, yeah. sort? Yeah. How, how far did you get in the uh, in, in the ranks? Oh, I was a tenderfoot. I never I never made it to tenderfoot. I was in the Boy Scouts. I was in the Cub Scouts the full run, and I was in the Boy Scouts for, I think, the better part of two years, and I never even made it to tenderfoot. I, I had some problems with uh, the organization and particularly with the test that you had to take in order to uh, identify how many ways to get ticks removed. Um, I mean, one of the things that they didn't, and I've probably talked about it on the podcast before, but one of the things that they didn't tell me going into the Scouts, and the Boy Scouts in particular, was that the authority figures would move from being the adults to being the older Scouts. And I didn't really have any sort of relationship with the older Scouts, certainly not a positive one. And the older Scouts had the authority to sign off on your ranks and merit badges. So because I didn't have that relationship, I just didn't address it. And I just sort of kept doing everything that I thought I was supposed to do, but I had no one to bear witness to me and attest to it. So I didn't end up getting any awards or badges. Uh, and I think that this was kind of a fundamental problem that was related to larger issues of my participation in the organization. Right. And the awards so. and the badges are the point, right? It's the structure. It's, it is the fact well, that all these kids are enrolled in this paramilitary. <laughs> is, is it not fair to call it a paramilitary? I don't think it's a paramilitary. It's maybe quasi-military. It's certainly military adjacent. <laughs> right? Like, uh, But paramilitary would mean that you're actually doing military things, which I don't think the scouts do. Oh. 
All right. I don't know. But that's that's now that's because it's a problem of semantics. I'm sure that it works one way or the other. Um, if para just means adjacent anyway, then sure. Yeah. I mean, what is this podcast for if not to discuss? Uh, I mean, that's semantics. a good point. I shouldn't resist pedantry. Dive. Lean in. Lean well, in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we could go down the road. The other last thing I wanted to make sure, just you know, kind of squeeze this all in here, and then we can just kind of open it up for the whole whole floor topic. Is that um, for those who've listened to this podcast for a very long time, through uh, all sorts of interesting uh, times in our history, you will remember, you might remember that uh, only other one cookie um, has held, you know, a, a, a great prominence in the history of this podcast. I'm of course referring to another mint cookie, right? The mint. <laughs> Milano. Yes. Um, and and Pete, do you want to just kind of like briefly recap, like how is it that we came around to offering, have a standing offer for any member of the Wu Tang Clan to join this podcast in exchange for a box of mint Milanos? Um, like, was sure. there even any? How, much, how, much, how much time do you have? <laughs> you can divide the human creative impulse into the Apollonian and the Dionysian. <laughs> 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 no, the point is that the offer stands, and if any member of the Wu Tang Clan, I think we've even said any killer bees would also be options. Would yeah. ever come on the podcast, we would get them in Milano's, and that's never quite been enough of an offer. And maybe we—I mean, honestly, they, we should not be disappointed, right? Because they don't have any obligation to do what we say. It's more an indication that this is the degree to which we would celebrate. I guess I would say that over the eleven years of the Overthinking It podcast, uh, going on twelve and so, one of the main things I've learned is like when you offer someone mint milanos for coming on your podcast who's never coming on your podcast you're not offering an incentive you're planning a celebration right it's that like if this were to ever happen then boy howdy wouldn't we all be jazzed right as opposed to like oh man if i offer this inducement then this thing that i want to happen will definitely happen Mm -hmm. Uh, because maybe it won't right you know maybe it won't who knows So, so i guess along those lines then um who whose appearance on the podcast could we celebrate with a box of Thin Mints? Oh, that's a really good question. That is a really good question. Mm. Do you want to make it somebody with a higher probability of actually coming on the podcast? I mean, how? What, I mean, that's that's part of the. I, that, that's probably the wrong way to put it. Higher probability. Do you someone closer to us or farther from us or? Uh, I don't know, Matt. What do you think? Who who do you think is would be Thin Mint worthy? Were we to promise what a whole box of Thin Mints, a sleeve of Thin Mints, multiple boxes of Thin yeah, Mints? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I yeah, I'm loath to give away a whole box. So, like, <laughs> right, <laughs> a box, but we sit with it for 15 minutes first. By so there's the way, only six left. You know, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how you feel, uh, Mark, about the box of of Thin Mints, but like, I, I look at the nutrition facts on the. The side of the box of Thin Mints and the the serving size for a Thin Mint, just want to say, is one cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Thir- servings per container, approximately 36. No, I'd like to say that they have those numbers backwards. Uh, <laughs> the serving size for uh, for a box of Thin Mints is 36 cookies, and the 30, you know, servings per container is approximately one. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, yeah, I'm, and, I'm they, not and sure. they list and they list calories and sugar and and so on and so forth. But then it gets to the part where you read that they're vegan. Oh, oh yeah, I that's know. true. Right. Amazing. So, so we're not answering. We haven't answered our question. No, we haven't. I mean, I mean, like the low hanging fruit there is Harvey Fierstein, but um, I, I don't know. We feel like I got to do a whole lot of uh, so much more than thin mints uh, would be. I mean, uh, the, the answer that comes to mind for me 
because I'm feeling a little bit like reaching out in a spirit of uh, empathy and fellow feeling to to the fellow overthinkers out there is that if you guessed it at one point on an overthinking it podcast to talk about a particular movie or TV show and they make a sequel or remake or reboot about it and you come on and you talk with us about the sequel or remake or reboot that could maybe be thin mint worthy or are we talking more like tagalog worthy because you're you're tagging along or, or something along those lines i feel like that might be worth celebrating um or but you want to you want to think maybe we could reserve it for somebody like harvey firestein but thin and minty are not two words i would use to describe him right um <laughs> maybe if, if they were like i mean that's more like you know ta- tagalogs i guess or the peter butter peanut butter patties or yeah, what are, what are the co- what are the coconut ones are those dosey does or the they've re- they've renamed them they've they've moved away from ethnic names i think oh, right so because they were Samoans, right? Oh, Samoas. Uh, yeah. Samoas, yeah. Samoas, yeah. Now, now christened, rechristened Caramel Delights. Right, right, right. Okay. Cool. Another another example of political correctness. Got wait 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 Matt. We were not supposed to. We were supposed to to delight each other with our <laughs> tri camera. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't feel. I don't feel like that's been a negative at all. <laughs> that that, that, uh, that, car- that now when you buy caramel delight Girl Scout cookies, they they're caramel. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no. It's, let's, uh, let's go big. It's Taylor Swift. Okay, Taylor freaking Swift. If she comes on. Then, um, well, okay, I can't. He's the thinnest, that we thinnest like, mint of all. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm down. Tay, Tay, if you're listening, like. The, the the logistics of this are such that like you know if several months from now after all this craziness has settled down and you join our podcast uh, we will have eaten all the thin mints that we currently have in our inventory but because the Girl Scouts are such an amazing organization with such reliable logistics and fulfillment uh, when the next uh, February comes around and we get a box we promise we'll ship uh, one of them to you that's our deal I, and I hope. I hope you take us up on that. So uh, just send us your uh, contact information, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll yeah. uh, we'll be in touch. You know, well, your people will talk to our people. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's lovely. Last last word on a uh, uh, final word, Mark on on um, Girl Scout cookies. Um, I'm running out. Did you notice? More. Did you notice, guys, that there was this year a. Uh, there was a s'mores special cookie. I, I mean, I, I heard word of them after the fact, after uh, my usual order came in. Um, but uh, had I known about them to begin with, I, I would not have been interested. No, no, uh, not not in the s'mores special cookie. No, did, did they come at the expense of like being able to, uh, uh, you know, room in my bag to transport thin mints, more thin mints from the office back home? Okay, I really, and I, I, could not by that. I really liked them. I mean, I you know I am a devotee of the marshmallow. Zero sum game, zero sum game, Matt. More like, of something else, less of thin mints. I guess to to me, like uh, marshmallow is the perfect candy, and uh, you know, so I I always I am always happy to uh, I'm always happy to make room for marshmallows. Um, well, gentlemen, this has been a, a lovely a lovely tricameron. Uh, to spend <laughs> to spend with you here in our villa outside of Florence, um, while we you know amuse each other with uh, subjecting, you know yada yada. Uh, I don't know, Pete, Pete. Pete, last word on the on the tricameron. Anything to say to to send us off into the the Florentine night? I think I can only quote LL Cool J <laughs> and say. 
from his book, I firmly believe that the depth of your character and the extent of your patience are as important as the size of your biceps when it comes to being a complete, well-rounded individual. That is a direct quote, and I think we all need to hear it because I think when we think about what makes a complete, well-rounded individual, we always start with the size of the biceps, and we need to realize that it's more than that. It is. And, and, and that all of us are more than that, and that you are enough. And, and you are enough. And if you do read LL Cool J's Platinum 360 Diet and Lifestyle Full Circle Guide to Developing Your Mind, Body, and Soul, you will realize that you are enough. And if you do all the exercise in it nonstop for six months, then you'll probably get lots of muscles. So there you go. Nice. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. And also that we love you all and hope everybody is safe and healthy. Yeah, thank you for and, listening. And we protect do. your loved ones and protect your communities and be good to each other uh, because, you know, dark times are, you know, I'm not saying to be Pollyannish, but dark, time, dark times can be a good time to be nice if you can. So sure. there you go. Thanks. Yeah, we uh, we uh, thank you for listening. We hope you uh, are healthy and safe, and that you stay that way. Uh, let us uh, let us know in the comments on the show notes for this episode uh, what uh, your delightful uh, and interesting topic is that we could spend twenty minutes discussing together to uh, to provide us uh, solace and uh, you know an enjoyment at this moment in our lives. Uh, thanks very much, Pete and Mark, for participating in the the tricameron with me. And we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Did I mention that the mints are vegan? If they were merely pescatarian, would that be enough for you?